You know, I've mentioned here before my fondness for and admiration for Brennan Manning. As an author, a priest, a Franciscan friar, a contemplative, a preacher, and a speaker, he spent many years trying to convey God's unbiased, unflinching, unlimited love for the world and humanity. And it was a tall order sometimes, not just to convince others, but more often than not, to convince himself. He admitted his reasons to be unloved, and he told stories of the times when he'd stand before congregations talking of the holy and telling of the heavenly and elaborating on spiritual things. Then, as soon as he shook the last hand after service, he'd find a bar, and he would drink hard until he passed out. On good nights, he'd wake up back in his hotel room. But more often than not, he'd wake up and find himself laying next to a building somewhere on the streets. Referring to those times, Brennan Manning said, To live by grace means to acknowledge my whole life story, the light side and the dark side. In admitting my shadow side, I learn who I am and what God's grace means. Many times when he felt that he was failing at life and failing at ministry and failing at being a reliable and honest spouse, Brennan would try to encourage himself and remind himself that God's love for him was out of his hands. He'd say to others, I have been seized by the power of great affection. I think I'm attracted to Brennan Manning because he didn't pretend that he had his stuff together. He admitted that he was a man of many failures who had often put the test of his own sermons and his own writings to task. He felt if there ever was one, he was the perfect reason for God's perfect love. He said, when I get honest, I admit that I'm a bundle of paradoxes. I believe and I doubt. I hope and I get discouraged. I love and I hate. I feel bad about feeling good. I feel guilty about not feeling guilty. I'm trusting and suspicious. I'm honest and I still play games. Aristotle said, I'm a rational animal. I say, I'm an angel with an incredible capacity for beer. I love to peruse Brennan Manning's writings and I, do his, I read through his writings and his sermons often gleaning from his failures, experiences and his wisdom and his deep, deep faith in the grace and mercy of God. He's known for many inspiring sayings, but the one, if you were to ever hear him stand before a crowd, the one that you'd hear him say more than all the others, one that he has said every time he stood in front of a crowd was this. God loves you unconditionally, as you are, not as you should be, because nobody is as they should be. I'm also fascinated with this man because he seems to always be surprised by the fact that God would trust him with something so precious, so holy. 
reading the story in the second chapter of Acts, as Marcia did for us this morning, I wonder sometimes if that's just how Jesus' disciples might have felt. Knowing their own failures, their own weaknesses, their own secret desires and self-centered motivations, I wonder if they imagined as they waited in that upper room if those things would be a barrier, something that would prevent them from experiencing the fullness of the Spirit that Jesus had promised. But if anyone knew them, Jesus did. And if anyone should know that Jesus didn't just show love to the lovable, those disciples should. They'd send Him love and serve with abandon time after time after time. And knowing these disciples so well, Jesus still didn't hesitate to confirm the promise of a holy experience and sometimes unholy people. That would be us. Let's look at this moment. It was 49 days after the Passover, 49 days since Jesus had been crucified just outside of the walls of Jerusalem. And only about 10 days ago at Mount Olivet, just before His ascension, Jesus had told His disciples to go back into town, go back into Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. Well, that's pretty broad, isn't it? He didn't tell them when the Spirit would appear or what the experience would involve, just to go and wait. So they went back to the place that was familiar to them, their safe place. They went to the upper room. Now some church historians tell us, and many believe, that the room where Jesus' disciples had gathered on this day was the same room where they had gathered with Jesus almost two months earlier, the night before His arrest and crucifixion. This was the place where they'd all found rest and retreat over and over again during the few short years of Jesus' work in ministry. This was the place where they'd locked themselves in after Jesus was crucified for fear of the Jews, the Scripture says. And somehow, even with the doors closed and locked, Jesus was still able to get in and visit with them after He'd been killed and resurrected. There were a lot of memories in this room. There were a lot of emotions tied to moments and meals and events and conversations in this room. But today would be the day that something most spectacular would happen in this room. Jesus was crucified on Passover. The next holy day on the calendar was the Festival of Weeks, which is also known in the Hebrew as Shavuot, which was originally a harvest festival. Later, the day came to be known to commemorate the time of the giving of the law of Moses on Mount Sinai, and that's just for a little bit of history. The Festival of the Weeks comes from an expression in Leviticus which instructs the Israelites to count seven weeks or 49 days from the end of Passover to the beginning of the next feast in their annual cycle of holy days. In the English language, we get the word Pentecost from a Greek variation of the word meaning 50 or the 50th day. The Israelites had celebrated Pentecost for centuries, but this one would be like none other. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. 
divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them the ability. We look back on it and it's like, oh, yeah, that's what the Bible says, but imagine being there. Imagine what it was like. Now, there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. I don't know if that's really the case. I mean, every nation under heaven. But there were a lot of different people there. It was a diverse crowd. And at the sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard those Jews speaking in their native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who were speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Weird. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered. They're filled with new wine. They're drunk. That's what the skeptics said. There will always be doubters. As a Pentecostal pre preacher friend of mine used to say, when God's Holy Ghost fire is burning, there will always be somebody standing by with a wet towel ready to put it out. <laughs> and maybe partly because of the scoffers, but the commotion surrounding what was happening in that upper room did not go unnoticed. Rumors started spreading throughout the streets of Jerusalem, and curious crowds started gathering, and at some point, Peter moved to the front of the crowd and he raised his voice and he delivered what many believe was his very first sermon. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, People of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I'll pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And even on the slaves, both men and women in those days, I'll pour out my Spirit and they shall prophesy. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now first off, let me say this. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning is proof, if there ever was proof, that Peter had never been to a Sunday fun day. <laughs> Beyond that, I think it's interesting that he started with background. He started with history that would be familiar to his local audience. He referenced Hebrew prophecy and God's promise to pour out the Spirit. Then he connected what everyone had just witnessed to the fulfillment of God's centuries-old promises. He went on to declare other promises to the Israelites, including the long-awaited Messiah, taken up the throne of King David, and he again connected those promises to Jesus, who they had just crucified. As the story goes on, we learn that about 3,000 people accepted Peter's message and were baptized that day, from 120 disciples in hiding to a public movement of over 3,000 Jesus followers in just one day. It's the reason that many today call the Pentecost, the events of Pentecost, the birthday of Christianity. I've seen several posts on social media this morning from folks saying, Happy birthday to the church. 
It all started in this room with this group of diverse people, some who were diehard believers, some who were curious, some who were confused, some who were skeptics, and some who thought it was just too much to take in. A place not unlike where we are here today. All of us. Somewhere in there. To me, more than anything else, the moment at Pentecost was more about the promises of God raining down on an incredibly diverse group of people. They were gathered, partying thanks to a festival and praying thanks to Jesus' promise. Partying and praying, that's my kind of Pentecost. (laughs) It all happened 50 days after the resurrection, 10 days after the ascension. There they were. Jews gathered from all over the land, partying and praying, and suddenly the Holy Spirit shows up and causes all kinds of chaos without discrimination, and Peter is ready and willing to try to explain it all. This is our model, friends. This is what God has called us to do. To pour out, to give out, to love and to serve and to be present to everyone we can without discrimination. Whether we feel we deserve this special gift has nothing to do with it. Like Brennan Manning, who always felt that he fell short of being worthy of it, we get to experience God's best just because God says so. To me, this is the lesson of Pentecost. This is what we should latch on to and live out. And this is who we should be, the people of Pentecost. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the Bluegrass United Church of Christ podcast. We'd love to have you join us for a service sometime. We meet on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at 500 Don Anna Drive in Lexington, Kentucky. You can find us online at bluegrasschurch.org.